Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, Sporting Kansas City posted their first loss in over a month, and of course, everyone was completely rational about it afterward. It was a fairly unlucky night for Sporting, combined with some, shall we say, interesting substitution choices given the game state. The rumor mill is hot regarding Alan Pulido's contract status, with multiple reporters connected to Liga Mekis saying deals are on the table. We will discuss the veracity of these claims, along with what Sporting Kansas City's options are regarding Polito this year. Tactical Corner this week will focus on fullbacks. What are their responsibilities? How do they function in modern tactical setups? Why would it be hard for a 29-year-old forward who has no experience playing that position to adapt effectively? The U.S. Men's National Team looked took their supposed CONCACAF contemporaries to the woodshed in Las Vegas to become back-to-back Nations League champions this week. This was an eye-opening performance given kind of how easy they made it look. Finally, we preview the upcoming two games this week as Sporting Kansas City heads to Carson, California to take on the Galaxy tomorrow night before coming home to challenge the fire on Saturday. Cody, the LAFC match was most certainly a tale of two halves. Sporting Kansas City was fairly dominant in the first half of the match, much of it having to do with the fact that LAFC really didn't have much of their talented players available or on the field. Was the change in dynamic as simple as bringing on Carlos Vela and a couple others, or did you see something different regarding Sporting Kansas City or LAFC's play that seemed to shift the balance of the game, specifically at the beginning of the second half? Um, So I I didn't think that I saw anything... um, you know, out of the ordinary or, or spectacular, other than other than like you said, just bringing on Carlos Vela. You know, some of the uh, sporting some of Sporting Kansas City's players did seem to uh, to to tire a little bit in the second half, and I think that you could uh, that you could tell that they weren't you know completing some runs, they weren't making runs that they had made earlier in the game, and and you know I I want to point out also that it was it was for the most part a pretty wide open game, and there were. There were chances uh, at both sides, so there was a lot of back and forth. And um, I thought, generally speaking, I thought the soccer was was pretty high quality. Um, but I don't, and we'll talk about this later. I mean, I don't, I don't think that LAFC did anything uh, particularly, um, you know, fa- uh, fantastic or amazing um, at all. And uh, and I think that, you know. Sporting Kansas City was actually pretty unlucky uh, to not get any points out of the game. I'll agree with you there. It was definitely a bad luck game. Um, they had, I noted this during or at the end of the last match on, on Twitter that Sporting had been fairly fortuitous um, over the previous six or seven weeks. They've been overperforming their XG pretty heavily. They have been getting calls in their favor. I think about you know the the game winning goal for Vancouver in Vancouver that got called back. There there were a couple scenarios where Sporting got the better part of some fifty fifty decisions as as well as you know, goal scoring chances and things of that nature. And it was inevitable that eventually it would kind of turn the opposite direction. So there were, they definitely were very unlucky. Um, the one thing I noticed from LAFC in the second half, other than bringing on Vela, which obviously. He's a force multiplier, as we like to say in soccer when, when he's on the field. Uh, was went, was moving was bringing in Hollingshead in for, for gains. Mm-hmm. 
Hollingshead mm-hmm. was much more effective up the right side and actually got behind Leibold quite a bit. And I think yeah. that definitely changed the dynamic of LAFC's ability to play up their right side, which is where Vela is. And so when you have Hollingshead being that much more advanced and much more effective in their attacking movements along with Vela, that does create problems for any team to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I think Gaines was very ineffective in that manner in the first half. I think that's a really good point. And uh, Leibold did not have um, a, a nearly as much impact in the second half as he did in the first half. Uh, he, he was pinned some, so deep. He had, you, uh, he had some really great passes and attacking sequences in the first half, but you're right. He was uh, he was pinned deep, and I didn't. I don't think that I really um, that I really realized um, that the the Hollings head switch had a lot to do that. So I think that's uh, that's probably pretty accurate. Hollingshead is a very good fullback slash wingback. Yeah, um, absolutely. He, he's 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 been an adept MLS player for a long time, and uh, he definitely you know only having to play forty five minutes. He's a little bit on the older side, but only having to play forty five minutes, kind of like with Roger when he came on. We'll get to that when yeah. we get to Sporting Kansas City subs. I think Roger was very effective for the first mm-hmm. twenty minutes or so after he came on. When I was not really sure about how that was going to go with him at left back, he was immediately <laughs> he was immediately impactful um, and, and positively yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, and it shows with the older guys, as we've discussed for weeks and months now, if you can use them as leverage substitutes at the end of games, they can actually have a lot of value. Um, I, the the first thing that I will note is that uh, I saw this very early on. LAFC had a very concerted effort to pressure the left side of Sporting's possession shape. So whenever Sporting would try to play up the left side, like progress the ball, and we talk about, you know, controlled progression, when you're you're building from the back and you're trying to push the ball forward, Sporting almost always tries to do that up the left side, especially when you have Kinda, Leibold, and Shallowy on the field at the same time. Those guys are all very good at playing off each other and creating positive movement. And then when that collapse comes, you can hit the, sh- you can hit the switch to the right side. The problem is um, LAFC was very effective at closing that off very quickly and not allowing the switch to happen. And so they were definitely denying Sporting's ability to play up that side. And it took, I would say, a good 15 minutes or so for Sporting to kind of get aware of what was happening and to start to use the middle of the field more. Gotti started to shade a little bit more into the half space and step, quit being so wide, um, almost even in the center of the, of the pitch. And Voltaire also kind of shaded over um, into the middle and allowed them to you know get a little bit more play through the center of the pitch. But I, I would say LAFC's game plan very early was pretty solid, especially given the fact that they knew that they were going to be defending for a lot of the game. Yeah, I think that that um, I think that you're right, and that that was kind of responsible for maybe a little bit of a slow start. But I do think that that uh, Sporting adapted really well to that, and they were still able to create plenty of chances uh, coming down the left side, uh, especially in the first half. And and um, unfortunately, they weren't able to uh, to convert those chances. Uh, they weren't able to to make um, LAFC. Play pay for the mistakes that LAFC made um, and um, and and so you know we, we we were left with just that just the one goal scored on on the penalty kick instead of uh, instead of you know what I think could have been potentially um, some uh, you know some more goals off of off of chances that that you know 
the team did a really good job of creating, but just weren't able to convert on. That kind of goes to the bad luck part of it for me a little bit, too, is that they were very positive in getting into those um, advanced placement positions, as we talk about a lot. Um, There were there were a lot of very good interplay and movements, allowing attackers to be in the box with the ball at their feet, with the defender at most near them. And it just didn't really ever seem to come off. I, I will give LAFC a lot of credit. Their emergency defending was very good. Um, and the, the, that's a kind of speaks to what you were talking about with the quality of play being very high. Um, LAFC's center backs played very well in this game. They were very active and the, the kind of touch tackles that they would make inside the 18 were all very good. Uh, but the other thing was, is just sporting wasn't just qu- quite as crisp as they've been. So, you know, we've seen them be exceptionally crisp and clean on a couple goal scoring uh, chances over the last month. And they weren't just quite that clean. Um, and, and that happens. And like these are MLS players. They're not yeah. always going to look like Manchester City scoring goals. Like we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the goal that Polito scored last week where it was like, you know, the, the quick outlet after the recycling around the back. And then Leibel just hits that early hard cross and, and Polito finishes it off. And it's like it's such high quality soccer. You start thinking, oh, we can do this all the time. Well, no, we're still talking about MLS players. They're still going to have loose touches at times. Shit, Premier League players have loose touches at times. It sure. happens. And it just it felt like for whatever reason, they just couldn't quite get to that that goal scoring place from where these yeah. chances were created and it happens sometimes and like that's why i said it just it just didn't it just didn't go their way it just just nothing really seemed to go sporting's way in this game um be it the missed chances just being a little bit off for whatever reason just getting thrown off just the pass would just be you know weighted just a mm-hmm. little bit too much um there was a there was a cross that shelton hit late uh to shallowy that um that uh, LAFC's goal, uh, McCarthy, John McCarthy, got his hand on, and if it was bent just a yeah. little bit just further a, to the tap, left, yeah. it's a it's a tap in, right? Yep. But I mean, we're talking like the margins on this stuff is so thin, and I think that again, that goes back to the conversation or the the point that you made earlier, which is this was a high level soccer match. Yeah. LAFC is a good team, even when they're down talent, they're a good team. You have to be crisp to beat them, and they were you just just a little bit off. Not not a ton, just a little bit. Well, and I think that that it's difficult to be crisp when you are playing your backup right center back when you're starting that 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 player at at left center back, and you're also playing um, you know a, a a player that traditionally plays the number eight spot up at right wing, um, a, a position which. Uh, I can't remember him ever playing for Sporting Kansas City, maybe once before, um, in a, maybe in a substitute uh, or late game situation. But uh, when, when you when you when you look at it like that, and the things, um, it, it's it's natural, I think, to expect maybe a little lack of crispness. And and um, regardless, I mean, we, we we created the chances that were created uh, in this game. In my opinion, were uh, were as good as the chances that we've created in most games it's just none of them fell for us this uh uh this time around and um i, I mean it just happens you know that's just happens sometimes uh, 
statistical variance yeah. game. That's how that's how yeah. I look at it. It's just statistical yeah. variance game. I don't think they played that badly. I actually said after the game, I thought they played badly in the second half on the rewatch. They really didn't. There was a there was a you know about a fifteen minute stretch uh, right after halftime after LAFC made some of the changes they did. Sporting was struggling a little bit to deal with it, and then Vermees made some subs of his own. Uh, the Heat obviously was getting to some guys, I, and, and in fairness, um, it wasn't. It, it was humid and it was, yeah. uh, you know, in the mid to high 80s. And while while the sun had gone down on most of the pitch, it was still not a fun place to be running around playing soccer. And um, they also have to play again tomorrow night. As we're recording this on Tuesday, there's a game tomorrow night in L.A. Mm-hmm. against the Galaxy. So some rotation is necessary as well. And it's just, you know, it's just the nature of playing MLS games in the summer. They're usually not front to back the whole 90 minutes. They just can't be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the bringing with LAFC, bringing on three of their very good players at halftime, fully fresh, it was it was something Sporting struggled with until they made their own changes. And then I felt like they, I don't felt like feel like they gave up control of the match in any way. I just yeah. think that bad shit happened. And, yep. I mean, sometimes that's how it goes. Yeah, I I did not go to the game. Um, and, and in fact, I didn't uh, actually finish rewatching the second half until uh, until today. And when I got home, because uh, I was I was uh, out and about on Saturday night when I uh, as soon as I was able, I, I checked Twitter. And I mean, it was like. <laughs> the was, world had was, ended dude it was it was like that that community gif where you know donald glover walks in and with a pizza and like everything's on fire yeah. and, and and that's the way it felt and I, I was expecting the uh i was expecting the second half uh when i watched today i was just expecting an absolute disaster and and uh and it wasn't uh it was still kind of heartbreaking uh to watch but uh, I don't think it was a, a, at all a disaster, actually, and I thought that there were a lot of positive things to take from it. And um, and you know, uh, I I do agree with uh, the consensus after the game on Saturday uh, online that um, that the ref the refing was pretty poor. Um, I mm-hmm. definitely, 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 definitely agree with that. And uh, um, you know, uh, uh, some 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 different calls and the night would have been ours. And, you know, like, like we've, like we've said that, that just happens. And, yeah. and, uh, we're I, just going to move on. I'm, I'm, yeah. The, the, the roughing in one aspect, I, I mean, the, so sporting did get a little bit lucky with the Aaron long goal. Cause I'm not sure he was offside, uh, in the first half, right in the first half yeah, stoppage really time close. long. That was really close. And if the, if the AR doesn't put his flag up, it, mm. it stays a goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not calling it offside. Yeah. So, I mean, because we don't use the lines and do all that other nonsense like they do in the Premier League. I mean, Long's arm is obviously out there, but his arm's not a, not a part that can play the ball. So, he, I, it was close. And, you know, with the aspect of the, the camera lens and all that kind of stuff, it, it really makes things look weird. And you can't really tell. When, the, when things are that close, it's very difficult. So, I mean... I'm not saying that they deserve to have a shitty call go against them later, but I, I will say that, you know, the ref was poor in general. Um, you know, completely missed the penalty. I don't know how he misses the penalty that they had. They had to go to VAR. I cannot believe it took like five minutes of VAR <laughs> to figure out to call that penalty. Yeah, And then for them to go back and say that the – Technically, 
Kyrie Shelton does foul Aaron Long. I understand in, in the rules of the game, this is technically a foul. It is rarely ever called one, but it is technically a foul. And this is where VAR kind of, I think, loses the plot a little bit, is that, yes, it is technically by the rule book a foul. But how are we going that far back That's into ridiculous. The, yeah. the, the attacking phase? <laughs> Supposed attacking phase, like that. The attacking phase actually stand like the ball recycled. It recycled that's up. The, to the, that's the thing. Like for the, me, for me, when the ball, the right when the ball, when the ball goes back out of the eighteen yard box, uh, it that's that's a recycling of it, and it shouldn't. Uh, that shouldn't have been. Um, you shouldn't have been able to to go all the way back. Yeah, I, I'm. Everything about how that was done is just sort of baffling to me. And we got the typical BS responses from pro when they like ask questions, you know, they get the stupid written question to answer and it's like four words and just like, leave me alone. Um, (laughs) I, I just, I, I'm, I have a lot of thoughts about the state of refereeing in MLS, but I also understand that there are leagues that are way worse than MLS is. So I'm also like, you know, sometimes this shit's going to happen and it's just unfortunate, but I will, I will say along the lines of what I said after the game, which was did sporting were the refs bad. Yes. Did sporting also play bad. I don't think they played bad. I think they, they did not, they were not decisive enough during to, to finish their chances. Had they been a little bit crisper on the chances that they had created, this would have been four one and we wouldn't be talking about it or 4-2, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I think that that is where I land on this, is that if you allow the referees to influence the game, you're probably putting yourself in trouble. Uh, because well, and it, they will negatively, at times, influence the game. Absolutely. Um, if we if we consider LAFC to be the gold standard uh, of the league, then... Um, I think we can see that in terms of like just standard uh, gameplay on the field, we are right there with them. Um, have to agree with uh, Bowanga on that one. Um, but uh, we we this team is lacking the ruthlessness that needs to that it needs to develop, and that's you see um, how much LAFC was fouling and mucking up the game in the second half. They got sure, very sure. aggressive physically, yeah. and this is something. They said it during during the uh, during the broadcast. They said Sporting Kansas City is the second lo- lowest team yeah. in, in MLS in fouls it's per wild. game. So, but but I, I mean, would like that's to just see a little more bite. Yeah, yeah, that's physicality, and I and and we that's something that that uh, you and I have uh, kind of advocated for uh, anyway. Um, but what I'm talking about is in terms of ruthlessness, it's just the the um, the ability and the desire and and like the insistence on punishing mistakes that the other team makes. And um, they, the, you know, Sporting Kansas City is not at the point where they do that. And um, and LAFC got a lot is. of nice guys. Yeah, they got a lot yeah, of nice that's, guys that's on the true. team, dude. They that's really true. do. Not not Most Danny Rosero. Sweethearts. <laughs> no. I mean, Danny is a sweetheart if you if you see him. In yeah, person, I know, yeah. I know he is. <laughs> but yeah, he he doesn't hesitate. But I'll be honest, Danny he goes on walkabout a little bit too. Sometimes sure he does. He, he yeah. makes some he makes some he makes some questionable 
decisions. He, I mean, he's not on the same level, but he reminds me. I have to watch Cuti Romero play for Tottenham all the time, and, and yeah. it just it, just a lot of that. I'm just like, oh, oh is he going to get away with it this time? I don't know. He uh, seems he to get away with a, it, though. I mean, he'll just – He had a terrible sm- pass at one point. Yeah, and, well, that's – And he had to take a, and then he had to take a yellow card foul because of it. Yeah. He, well, yeah. At least he knew, hey, look, mm-hmm. I fucked this Absolutely. up. I got to take this yellow card to make sure they don't score. Um, so I, I can at least appreciate that part of it, but – I would. I just like him because you know, it seems like two or three times every game he just makes a a, a tackle that's that's a fine tackle, but it's just needlessly like hard and physical. You know what I'm saying? He just mm-hmm. he just like run over somebody just to run him over, like not even well, when, when he when he took the yellow card, he makes he made sure he earned the yellow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like if I'm gonna have to take this yellow card, Stepe Buke's gonna feel me on this one. Yeah, <laughs> and, and but that's that's good. I mean that's. That's the kind of you know, lethal physicality. Yes. Kind of just get after, get it, make your opponent feel you. They intimidation feel is a part of it. Yeah, yeah. and it's been a long time since we've had an intimidating uh, defender. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's an important part of the game. Mm-hmm. And and LAFC was just, I would say, it felt a lot more um, aggressive in their pursuit, like. The the let's put it this way: the story is out on how to slow down Sporting Kansas City's attack. You follow them. Mm-hmm. That's how you stop their attack. You follow them, and LAFC was aggressively doing that in the second half. Um, there were three or four fouls that were not called because they were given as advantage because somehow we still released the ball early enough to allow the play to go forward, but. LAFC was very aggressively going after dudes and fouling them. And some of them, this is the other thing where I feel like the ref lost a little bit on this one. Just because you played advantage doesn't mean you can't give the yellow card later. Like they were yellow card fouls. Yeah. And he didn't give them because he played advantage. And that's that you can still go back and, and give the yellow card. The other thing was they were very aggressively delaying restarts. Like, mm-hmm. they were not allowing Sporting to get onto restarts fast, and I'm just so fucking tired of watching this, man. It, it, it's just a no MLS referee wants to actually call this. Like, just start giving them yellow cards. They'll stop. They will stop immediately as yeah. soon as you start giving them yellow cards for it. Because you can see them grinning every time. Like, they know what they're doing. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and if you're not going to penalize it, they're just going to keep doing it. Yeah. Um. Anyway. No, that's my uh, that's my rant on the referees. I, I was not we, I was we, not we impressed have... by this guy, but you know it, it, there are several refs at MLS that I'm not impressed by regularly, and it's just it's part of what we have to deal with. We, we could we could have a whole podcast just on uh, on MLS refs and the the problems and the you know potential solutions. And you know the thing is is that they're, they're a problem. They've been a problem for many 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 years and. Um, and at this point, you have to kind of think that either they don't, either the league doesn't see it as a problem, or they don't really care. And so, you know, which is just more, more of the same. Which is going to be wild when it's Lionel Messi that's getting kicked and thrown to the ground and all that stuff. Like, are we going to have Messi rules like Michael Jordan and the, the referees oh, 100%. are going to take care of him? Hundred <laughs> percent. Wow, that's that's going to get that's going to get a lot of people pretty fired up if that's the case. Um, yeah. if, if if the refereeing gets that biased towards one team because they happen to have the sixty million dollar player, um, 
I, I yeah. Anyway, let's move on from the referees because, like you said, we could we could spend a whole podcast talking about it. We'd never get anywhere, and they'd still send us this these bullshit responses to the questions about That's... you know certain calls during the game. The the officiating podcast is the one to invite Mark on to, so we'll we'll plan on that. <laughs> I wouldn't. I mean, we could just sit back and listen to him talk. For an hour. Like it, we wouldn't have to say anything. Um, okay. Um, set pieces. I want to make sure we cover this. Um, we're still hitting short corners. We actually Polito actually got a shot off one of them, which is fine. But you have Danny Rosero. Yep. Why, why, why would you ever yep. hit a short corner? Yep. This guy is an animal in the air. He wins any ball near him. Why are you hitting short corners? Also, yeah. the service on the corners was fucking terrible again. Yes, it like, was. Like, shallowly hit a corner into the side net of the fucking goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, if and, and LAFC was very intent on playing it uh, playing it out whenever whenever we'd get the end line and and like try to cut it back they were intent on just putting it out of bounds every single time they had no problem with letting us take corner kicks and you can see why and if teams are going to do this we have to be more efficient at putting the ball on um it was just not well, good and that was and that was that's a big difference uh, in this game bet- between uh, some of the previous games where the team has been successful is there uh, we we had scored a few set piece goals in in the last couple of games and we didn't score one this game and it just the, uh, those little things add up um, and and you know they still they still are trying to go to the to to the six yard box uh on the far post and and head the ball back into the the middle of the field but you know, at, at the end of the game there was nobody making the the near post run in order to finish that and so it's like it, it just all seems kind of pointless and and you know at some point it's just uh actually when you when you have when you sign a player like Rosero you just have to just uh, sometimes just put the ball into the box and let that dominant player go win the ball because he can do it and he he could he can score i mean it's not like LAFC did anything special uh to get uh to get Aaron Long his goal i mean it's just a it's it's just a ball into the box you just know what i'm saying there and Aaron Long is yeah. very good in the air so why would you That's would it do- <laughs> so to me, it felt like Sporting like overthought this. They're like, "Well, Aaron Long's really good in the air. We don't want to try to put it where he, he's his not area. that good." Yeah, he's not. That I agree. Good. He's not that good. <laughs> and and they're playing. They're playing like you know we had Isimot Marine still in the position. We don't. We have we have Danny Rosero, who is an absolute monster. And and you have to sometimes. Uh, just go with the players that you have and play to their strengths and his strength is 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 just aerially dominating people and he should be in front of the box and you should be literally trying to put the ball on his head i mean they had daniel maldonado playing center back because mario didn't come on until halftime because they're trying to load manage him and if they had both mario and long out there that's a hard center back pair to get aerial wins against so i sort of understand that they didn't have that and maybe that's part of the problem is that was the expectation is that LAFC would have two aerially dominant center You're backs allowed there. to change your 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 but tactics that's like in mid game. Exactly. <laughs> as soon as you see the lineup come out you're like okay, new new plan. <laughs> We're yeah. going to lump it into the middle. Danny get on it. I mean, it, it's I know it seems so simple but I just like 
that that kind of stuff sometimes you can overthink it and it just felt like sporting sort of is overthinking and, and they just don't have guys who are consistently hitting good corners that's the other problem yeah shallow had improved but he was not very good in this game um tommy is yeah bad bad <laughs> yeah but he scored but he had an assist last game so what are you gonna do you know i mean um, uh, but I mean, that's like saying Christian Pulisic has an assist on a corner kick. Okay, fine. Right. But it doesn't mean that <laughs> he's, it's still bad he's really it. good at. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Um, okay. Uh, what do we want to move on to here? Uh, okay, so Gotti Kinda, um, I was very impressed with him in the first half. You can see just when he's on, when, he's not at full speed yet. We can tell. You can mm-hmm. tell that he's not there. There was a play where he got free, and. Yeah. We, Normally, he he would, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he would have been gone, and he got outran by a center back. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised at that, and thought the same. And that was when I was like, yeah. I was, I was like, yeah, he ain't, he ain't quite there yet. Um, but the so much of the stuff that he is doing is just such a perfect fit for this system. He's just like the perfect like central midfielder for this system because he's, um he plays the type of combination play that is really effective to making the, the making the ball move forward in this system. Mm-hmm. He's not a super progressive passer. He's not going to be Benny fail Harbor and the ball into the box, but he is really good at the triangle movement. Yep. That is exceptionally necessary for how the, how the system is set to move the ball and his, he rotates off of his teammates exceptionally well. He does. And he, it, he plays his, off of his, his teammates. Is so good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and the he's also um, he he's got a really tight turn on the ball. Um, he is he's a live wire. He's always he's very he's a very active player like all the time. And so and that kind of hyperactivity makes him uh, very unpredictable. And so he's a pain in the butt to guard and you never know what's going to happen if he's going to dribble straight at you or if he's going to, you know, hit the underlap or the overlap uh, and he can do all of that stuff. And um, he, he's I, your point's a good one. Like he's not like a, a super progressive passer. Um, he's kind of a progressive dribbler, but like like even though those two things are true he's like a very progressive player like he's always looking for ways to move the team forward by by being in the right place and um he's all the things together right like none of them are like elite talents of his other than his mind he i think he's an elite soccer mind but none of his like technical skills are elite soccer talents Mm -hmm. but they're all really good and he uses all of them yeah right he's never just doing one thing like yeah. oftentimes you see certain players, we were making jokes before we recorded the podcast, like Eric, Tommy, he's going to do the thing that he does. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is, it's, he needs to be the last guy you pass the ball to because he's going to dribble in and try to take a shot. Like, like he's going to be the last of, guy you probably, you, you pass <laughs> you to, pass whether you want to. that to be the case or not. <laughs> he is the Jimmy Butler of uh sport of Kansas city, but he, he is, uh, but Gotti is constantly looking for something that he can do to help the team yeah. be successful. And you're right, like his his ability, his body positioning to receive and turn, 
his uh, movement off of his teammates to create an easy pass for them to send it to him. There's just so many things he does that are just sort of nuanced, but his positioning, just everything about it is just like, it's perfect for this positional play kind of system Mm -hmm. um, where you don't necessarily have to hit a 20 yard line splitter to pull things off. Now it's good when you see it and you can hit it. Radia hit one in the second half that I was like, Ooh, Ooh, if that's in his bag and I see some more of that, I'm going to be really excited. Uh But um, he also hit a couple switches. Radia is starting to pass the ball more. I feel like Mm -hmm. he's getting used to the team a little bit and starting to pass the ball more, and you're starting to see some of that passing skill, which is great. But, I mean, for Gotti, it's it's not necessarily those eye-opening things. But you're right. It's eye-opening when all of a sudden – four guys are running at their back line and Gotti's got the ball at his feet or he's rolling off the guy he just passed it to to create that situation. And that happens a lot when he's involved. And um, I just, I, I can't wait for him to get back to full steam because I think that he is, like you, like, like you said last week, a force multiplier for this team when he is playing well. Um, he, he makes the other guys better. And that's yeah, not I think something that... we can say for everyone on this roster. He's he's just I, I think that you kind of hit on it. He's just always active and uh, and in a system that requires constant rotation and movement. That is that is maybe the the number one thing that you can be right is just is to constantly be active, to constantly be moving, and to put it be constantly putting yourself in a better place. And and you know to to it makes me it makes me think about when the times um, when Gotti has not played and when the team has not been um, successful and not looked so good and uh, in, in, in attacking and and really I think that that activity has a lot to do with it um, players stagnate and tend to you know watch the watch pass it to somebody and then watch them dribble or try to do something instead of moving to be in a better place and and the thing about soccer is you can always be in a better place um, and the other thing about soccer that we've talked about before is is most of the time you uh, don't have the ball right and so what you do when you don't have the ball is by far more important than what you do when you have the ball unless you're Alan Polito. But John Muller did a really good article on The Athletic about this where he talked about how to watch soccer or how to watch football. And, you know, one of the things is watch watch the guys without the ball. Um, the vast majority of soccer is played without the ball. Uh, there's only one person touching the ball out of 22 at any given point in time. There, So there are 21 other players doing stuff that actually is fairly relevant to what's going on on the field. And you're actually doing yourself a disservice if you only watch where the ball is. You should be watching where the other people are going that the ball might go to or how they're reacting. If it's your team defending to where the ball is, it's a it's a it's a it's a almost like a high speed ballet of like a bunch of players moving around at the same time and trying not, you know, trying to get into different places. And it's, it's, it's really fascinating if you can look at it that way. Um, I think to your point, when Gotti came off the field, the team got a lot more direct. They started playing a lot more long ball. They started to play a lot more in transition. And when they possessed the ball heavily, you're right. It, it got to a lot of just circulating and not as much aggressive, um, inlet passing and things like that with some caveats to it, but they weren't as um, successful in creating some of those high quality chances, except in very specific circumstances that were sort of transition related. So, it, well, they, it and, and to be honest, they, they, 
especially once they brought on the subs, you know, that's they're bringing on players who are more direct players. I mean, uh, Kyrie Shelton is a very direct player, and he's playing on the same side as Jake Davis, who is also a very direct player. And and they're also <laughs> playing with Eric Tommy, who shifted into that number eight spot, who's a super direct player. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a whole lot of passing combinations going to happen no. on that side of the field. <laughs> no. And, and you, you could see it, like, and this is not, I'm not dogging anybody here. I mean, because Davis has the same problem that Kyrie does. Neither of them are very, are very gifted passers. So they're playing very simple passes. And it's like pass mm-hmm. to the guy and dribble is kind mm-hmm. of what's happening. And to your point, right? And I think that that's where you're going to struggle in this system. You're going to struggle against a team that is of quality, like LAFC, yeah. that, can, that can close you down in those circumstances and create problems for you on the ball. Um, so obviously, that's, that's not lot. that's that's in contrast to old you know Mesut Leibold on the other side just dropping freaking. <laughs> I can't Dude, believe some of the passes, passes that passes. guy makes. Honestly, <laughs> I, it's ridiculous. <laughs> He's like I think we spent a lot of time at the end of last year talking about how good Ben Sweat is passing the ball. Leibold's at a whole different level than that because he's hitting passes like, that are different. Different than even crosses. Put, He's in the Put him in the passes. midfield. Why? I mean, he could be like like Iniesta or something, man. Come we on. Don't, we don't have any left backs, man. Like, yeah, this is see, true. <laughs> we spent some time talking about this last week, though. This is why you can see why they signed him. Yeah. Like this yep. guy is a special, special fucking player. I, you know, and I, I give the scouting department credit for finding these kind of guys. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you could be like, oh, he was playing at Hamburg and he was in the two Bundesliga and whatever. No, this guy's a real player. Like he's a legitimate, yeah. legitimate player. Um, he's a little bit defensively suspect, but that's true of all really good attacking fullbacks. We're going to spend some time talking about how fullbacks are using the modern game here in a minute. He is a modern fullback, exceptionally yeah. so. I mean, Trent Alexander Arnold, not that great defensively. Okay, <laughs> but <laughs> he, he's he's still. <laughs> well, I mean, no, bro. he's not. He's not. <laughs> but his service hey, I, is I, insane. I, I want to bring in Mar. I, I wanted to to sign Marcelo, so you know, I'm I'm all about it. Uh, we, yeah, we don't need defense, the, but the modern fullback they can deliver the ball no i mean libel does a job defensively he understands yeah. his defensional positioning responsibility there he he uses his understanding of soccer to put himself in the right place is he a great 1v1 defender not really but that's fine if he's yeah. if he's if, not putting himself in bad positions and that i think that's you put what the you right do people around him yeah and, and yep I, I'm a little worried when he and Fontas are on that side because neither one of them are that special at <laughs> 1v1. Fontas is okay if they're in front of him. If It's when he has to chase that it's a problem. Um, anyway, I I, I, uh, I think, you know, when we talk about the subs, you, you alluded to this. So Peter started making subs pretty early in this match. Um, obviously, there's some load management going on with the game in L.A. tomorrow again at home on Saturday the depth in the back line is pretty limited um so you probably gotta you've got to especially at the fullback position you've got to make some mm-hmm. switches to make sure that you've got your best players available uh, for these matches um I thought Raj played great like yeah. I thought he played really well immediately yeah. impacted the game in a positive way he was sort of inverting into the midfield a lot 
and letting mm-hmm. Shaoli stay wide. Um, and it seemed like Remy understood that he was going to do that and also kind of dug into the half space when Raj would invert into the midfield or rotate behind him and defend. It was it was pretty cool, and, and he created some chances right away. Um, it was very bright, and I think this is the kind of stuff that you, you and I have brought up several times that you know having a guy that has these skills that you can bring on in the last half hour of a game is is a good it's a it's a bonus to have that kind of availability well and when you when you rely on veterans to do that generally speaking they're not going to be liabilities right and so um and so sometimes you just need somebody to come in and not screw it up and um i think that that when you bring Roger in, regardless of whether he's at left back or in the midfield, I mean, I think he's probably not going to screw things up. Um, and so um, anything you get above that is is kind of gravy. And and his his service was pretty good. I mean, honestly, he um, he had some uh, some dangerous passes. And um, on another night, like we said, you know, yeah, goal wiped off the board for a dubious yeah, well, VAR is, call. Yeah, yeah, there is that. <laughs> Good lord. So I mean, he was he was very active <clears throat> in this one, yeah. and, and I I actually like to see it, and so it it's something you could see him doing more, especially given mm-hmm. the fact that we don't know when and Denbe is coming back. So yeah, having him absolutely. having this option is actually really positive. Whereas on the right side of the fullback line, we have Jake Davis, who is not really a fullback. Um, playing that position it seems like Caden Pierre is in training but it sounds like his hamstring injury was really bad like they're really concerned about making sure to bring him up very slowly so behind Davis it seems like there's nobody um and so that became (laughs) Kyrie Shelton again in this match um so let's talk about the goal first because this is this is where Kyrie got harangued by most of the the staff or staff most of the uh most of the twitter sphere was haranguing Kyrie at the end of this game because you know you don't like giving up a 90th minute goal to Carlos Vela and he's the guy holding the guy on side so you're like you're really upset with him I watched this whole play several times and I I rewatched just to kind of see what happened this goal is not on Kyrie there's just no nobody would have recovered for this effectively in this circumstance. So let me, let me map it out for you. You guys can rewatch it. Uh, you need to go to the actual full match rewatch on Apple TV. It does not effectively show it in the highlights. You need to go like full rewatch this so you can understand the context of the play. But Kyrie presses back on Buke and wins possession. And then Buke is on his back. So he's, he's going back to goal. He passes it back to McIntosh. And then he does something that's very common in this circumstance because he's the only one back. He flares out to the to the to the right sideline near the corner flag to give McIntosh another outlet in if Buke starts to press him. So if, if Buke starts to do the, the 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 diagonal press towards McIntosh, he is the outlet in that circumstance. Buke sort of sits in between of doing that or not. So McIntosh elects to go long, which is fine, but Everyone else in the back line is 20 yards in front of Kyrie at that point because he's the only one back to give McIntosh the outlet to the side. So they're up there holding a high line where Kyrie is back offering the outlet to McIntosh, which he doesn't take. And it just gets really unlucky. He hits it long. Polito is gassed, makes a terrible attempt at doing anything with the aerial duel. Aaron Long somehow takes it straight out of the air, off his foot, straight back over the top 55 yards. If Kyrie hit an immediate immediate sprint as soon as McIntosh did that, 
as soon as McIntosh hit the ball, he still wouldn't have gotten back up even with the back line. Like, no one could have done that. It was just a really unlucky circumstance. And I think I told you this before we started recording. If you gave Aaron Long 100 attempts to do that, he couldn't do it again. Like, it was just a really unlucky play. And I think a lot of people kind of bagged on Kyrie for being out of position and holding the guy onside. Literally anyone in that in that place would have done it. If Jake Davis was the guy to split wide there, he would have been keeping Vela onside. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that, that the key here is that um, is that Kyrie is moving back towards uh, Macintosh, right? And so his so when he makes the pass, his his he's not like turning around and then sprinting up the field. He's just sort of angled his run and and curved out of the 18 yard, 18 yard box over towards the sideline. That's where he should be to be that outlet. And if anybody is at fault, it's Macintosh for for not finding. Um, Maybe not not putting the ball uh, in the right place. Maybe you know. Maybe maybe he should be playing that ball uh, to Johnny because Johnny's fresh in the game. Johnny's uh, 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 better at winning aerial duels probably even than Polito. Um, so maybe you could say uh, that that the ball should have been played over to the right side. Uh, and also, um, I think that I think that uh, McIntosh got got caught a little bit flat-footed. He was he was kind of expecting a uh, an offside call maybe and so he came off of his line pretty late uh, not that that would have changed necessarily because he's going against Carlos Vela uh, but you know there, there 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 is that I mean I think that if you blame if you blame anybody probably McIntosh is more to blame than than Shelton but I uh, I'm kind of with you I, I it's just it's just a fluky weird thing to happen and um, I don't really necessarily put that blame on anybody it's just uh, you know, soccer is a cruel, <laughs> a cruel uh, sport sometimes, and and you know, wild stuff happens, and uh, and you give up late goals like that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. If there's anybody that deserves blame, it's probably McIntosh more than anybody else. But I don't know that anybody really deserves blame. It's just a fluky play that sometimes happens, and you know, it just like I said, the team was unlucky. Shit happens yep. sometimes. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about the news of the day which is, well, I don't know what the news, <laughs> the rumors of the day, which are all related to Alan Polito's contract status. Um, so multiple reports are coming out uh, about uh, about Polito and him going back to Liga Mekis, and obviously they're always led with Chivas. Chivas is where Polito came from but when, when Sporting uh, you know, purchased his contract back in 2020. Uh, so there's obviously all the connections that happen there, but also there's the dynamics of the fact that Chivas is only able to sign Mexicans. They are not allowed to, they, they, their, their internal philosophy and everything related to how they, they sign players. Every player has to be a Mexican national. So they, they're only able to sign Mexican players. Well, how many Mexican strikers are available to Chivas to sign? Not that many, right? I, I mean, is Raul Jimenez going to come back to Liga MX and play for Chivas? I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a bunch of rumors about him. Um, they have Hota Hota Macias, who's, but he's been injured all year with an ACL. So, who knows what his level is going to be, or if he's even going to be available at the beginning of this of this season for for Chivas. But th- that's what drives a lot of this conversation. The secondary part of it is. Alapolito's out of contract at the end of this year. So, 
of course, his agents are going to try to negotiate and get offers for personal terms to allow him to, you know, create a leverage negotiating position regarding his upcoming pay. That's, in my opinion, what's happening here. Uh, but there have been several reports, and Mike Kuhn got some more, found some more today that sort of added more smoke to the fire here regarding both Chivas and Cruz Azul potentially trying to sign Alan Polito. Uh, the way that the reports are read is that along the lines of that personal terms were agreed to. I, again, <laughs> it's th- these guys, these agents are going to manufacture this news in the way, the best way they can to try to create some sort of negotiating position for themselves. It's really common in Mexico. Like this kind yeah. of thing is extremely common in Mexico. They're like, this guy's going to sign or this guy's got personal, t- this guy's got terms agreed to, or they're going to sign this guy. All this stuff comes from agents. It, it's the same guy, by the way, Fabrizio Romano in Europe, 90% of his information comes from agents. It's not from yeah. club employees. It's from agents or people close to a certain person. That's how he gets all this information. So these agents are feeding information to these reporters in Mexico and they're putting all this in, and they're putting it all out on front street. And it's, it's, it's a negotiating deal. Um, I don't know how true any of them are. I will tell you that they came out right before uh, there was media availability with Vermees at practice today. And so Sperry and that bell were both, you know, asking questions about it. Like, Hey, is there any, and, and Vermees like, basically shit on all of them <laughs> he was like nope that nothing has happened we have not received contact from any club about alan we have not received an offer from any club about alan what this feels like to me is we know for a fact that sporting has been talking to alan about extending his contract you know mm-hmm. getting him re-signed for future years which I think is a reasonable conversation to be having. He's obviously an elite striker with elite skills. So assuming he can stay on the field, I think that there is value to him being on this team. I'm sure there's a lot of negotiating going on. I would dare to bet. I put this out on Twitter. Uh, Andrew Weeby asked me about it. He's like, well, do you think they should keep him? Do you think not? I was like, I think if they can get him below TAM threshold and he can be the DP that is not a TAM, that, that is a, not a true DP, but a tamable DP that allows mm-hmm. them to keep their three U22 slots and it frees up another real DP slot, I think that's ideal. Because um, Radia, Russell, all those guys can be bought down with allocation money. So it actually would free up a legitimate DP spot for for them if they were to do so. And I think that that's probably what's happening right now is there's negotiating going on. Alan, will you take a little bit of a pay cut to stay mm-hmm. here? given the fact that we paid $10 million to get you here and you've played like 35% of the games that you were on the team for. Can and, we, and if you're, if you're, if you're his, and you're 30 um, and you're 33 yeah, uh, next season, thing. you're 33 coming off an ACL injury. So like, if you're an agent things. and, and, and Alan Polito is your client, this, that's what you're saying. You're saying, okay, so, you know, I, I don't have a good bargaining position because, you know, the player uh, that I'm representing is, as is well over 30. He's has a history of, of significant injuries and, and has missed significant time due to those injuries. Um, and he's, you know, he, he's used to making a 
a sizable uh, salary. So how are you going to how are you going to get back to that number or, or start to approach that number? Because you know that the team's looking for a discount, um, and and the the best way to do that is to just start you know feeding the rumor mill and 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 you know getting even if you're I mean sporting knows that that's what's going on obviously, but it's just the thought of of other teams looking for him because other teams are going to be interested in Alan Belito. He's he's too good. Uh, for that not to be the case, um, and and so it really just comes down to um, you know I think I think his relationship with the club, and then if the club can can uh, get him a number that he's comfortable with, um, and and that the club's comfortable with, and I mean who knows what that's going to be. It's I think likely that he could make more money in Mexico, uh, but that's not I mean that's not always the end all be all. That's also not guaranteed money. It's it's very yeah. it's very common in Mexico for those teams to have to struggle to make payments on time. Polito yeah. had to sue Chivas to get his portion of the transfer fee paid that he was supposed to receive. I don't know if that's even been settled yet. Um, that was a couple of years ago that he sued them, and you would assume that he would have to have that money for him to consider joining them. Um, it, these guys are late paying money a lot. <laughs> There's there's financial situations going on with them that are just not always the most ideal. And so he knows he's getting his check from Sporting Kansas City every month or every two weeks mm-hmm. or how often however often they pay him. And um, I, I will say that from an outsider's point of view, he appears to very much enjoy being here. His, he's really worked on and improved his English quite a bit. He seems to like living here. And this is, this is a common refrain that you hear from Vermees when he talks about recruiting players. He's like, if I can get him into Kansas City, we're good. I just got to get him here. Once they see the city, once they see the facilities, once they see the environment, once they see how it works, not a problem. I just got to get him here. And you can see that from a number of players for sporting that have come from overseas. Uh, I, I think that there's a variety of these guys that are going to end up staying here. After they retire, I mean, I, I Daniel Shallowy, I consider to be a Kansan at this point. Like yeah, he just, for real. <laughs> he just kind of is. Um, but there's a lot of guys that that are very comfortable living here, and they would continue to live here if they could. I, I don't know what the what the money differences are. Like I said, his value to Chivas is more than it is to Sporting because they can only sign Mexican players, and they don't have many options if they're going to add a center forward of quality to their team. Um, but, you know, is that, is that pull significant? I don't know. I, when it, when it comes to sporting Kansas city, I think from a financial perspective, if they can get him for, if they can get him resigned for Tam max, I love it. Yep. If he's a full DP, I don't like it as much. I completely agree. And, and the mechanics that we're talking about here, y'all is that, the way that the salary cap works, and this this is a whole separate conversation about whether or not we, like, not whether or not, they need to revamp the salary cap and how it works because it this this is the unintended consequence of something like this. If Alan Polito wants more than one point six eight one million dollars next year, which is the TAM max plus a which is the which is the salary cap charge max plus a million dollars, which is the max for a, a player that can be bought down with allocation money. He has to be a full DP. And in order to carry three U22 slots, 
you have to have at least one DP that is under the max DP salary that can be bought down with TAM, or they have to be a young DP. And making Polito a full DP means they either have to keep someone like Eric Tommy as a DP, or Nemanja Radia, or some of these guys that are actually able to be bought down with allocation money, or they have to sign a young DP, which is not always the most effective methodology either. And typically the guys that are young DPs are like Tiago Almada, right? These are the, the and I, those guys aren't typically coming to Kansas city. So there's a whole, all kinds of mechanics that go on with this and all kinds of like, you know, moving the shells around to try to get everything <laughs> in the best position possible. And it's, it's a little bit ridiculous to be completely honest, because if, <laughs> if Polito's on 2.2 million a year right now with sporting, I think it's reasonable at 33 year old, 33 years old, coming off of a major knee surgery, not at his full effectiveness and playing 30% of the games, 35% of the games he was with the club, for them to be like, hey, will you do 1.68 million? Like, I think that's a mm-hmm. reasonable request. Yeah. But if Chivas is going to offer him 2 million a year, I mean, I'm not, I understand why he's not going to leave $320,000 a year on the table especially when he's at the end of his earning status. You know what I mean? Get as much money yeah. as you can. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where this is where the roster rules get kind of dumb, in my opinion. There's just all these stupid dependencies related to everything that don't allow sporting to do that without leveraging themselves in another way. And I think that's a part of where this stuff has to change. I, I would be much more in tune with just a flat cap number. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have one excess player. To, uh, you allow for a Lionel Messi, right? Yeah, You absolutely. allow for a, a Lorenzo Insigne, okay? I get that, okay? You have one excess player that can make anything. But other than that, here's your salary cap of $15 million, and you spend it however you want. So um, they need to get they need to just get creative and, and find a way that, uh, that you know, Polito can, can uh, you know, get a, get a, a, a spokesperson deal for, for, like, El Torito or something. <laughs> Compass Minerals. Alan Polito's going to be out there selling road salt to folks. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, but that's how Hor- that's how the Moss brothers got in trouble in Miami, is they had all that yeah, kind of crap going on. The freaking um, uh, Blaze Matweedy was out there getting, you know, he was an employee of the Moss brothers company along with <laughs> we're playing for Inter-Miami. That That's... That'll get you, and that's the thing. It's like you you have to do dumb shit like that to get players who want to come play for your team, and you're willing to yeah. pay them the money. Like I, there's some of this where I am with Paul Tenorio, and they've got to take the shackles off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if Stan Kroenke doesn't want to spend a dime on his team, then that's his own fucking problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, that that's not anyone in this league's problem at that point. Um. Anyway, that is. The Alan Polito contract situation. I, I <laughs> realistically do not believe, first of all, I don't think any transfer fee that Sporting can get for him in the summer from a Liga MX team would be significant enough to let him go. He has too much value to this team as they try to make the playoffs and try to make a run here. Okay, He's obviously the best player on the roster. He has too much value to them as they attempt to try to make the playoffs and, and then make some kind of run. And they have no depth Versus, at that spot. 
I mean, zero depth, and they wouldn't gain anything from a salary cap flexibility perspective by doing it other than the DP spot. So they would have to have somebody identified. They would have to be paying a significant transfer probably for this person. So they would lose money in this situation. Yep. And they maybe get a million dollars, I think, would be best case scenario that they would get back. And they wouldn't get any gam or anything out of it because they paid $10 million for it. Mm-hmm. So the way that all the math works out for them as far as like salary cap flexibility, all they would gain is the DP spot. And now you're talking about trying to sign a new DP, laying out a bunch of cash for them, and get them integrated in July. I just I don't think that in any way Sporting is interested in that. They'll let him run out his contract before they do anything else. So I don't think there's a whole lot of value in transferring them out. May, do they lose them on a free in the winter? Let's see. Maybe. Maybe that happens. Um, yeah, sometimes you got to take that, that gamble. Yeah, and you, you hope that your scouting department's ready to go as far as replacing him. Yeah. And it's not like Julian is he a was, bad if, player when he's, right. when he's healthy. So and they, it, and there if, are options there. If Polito's 28 years old, I mean, it's a different scenario, right? And you maybe don't take that gamble. But... Uh, given given all of the context, I think that that's a gamble worth taking. Agreed. Okay, let's dive into tactical corner this week. Just really quickly, we're going to talk about what fullbacks do. <laughs> what is their role on the team? And it, it just, I, I thought, thought that it was sort of irrelevant given um, the fact that Kyrie Shelton got a lot of hate for, you know, being keeping Vela on side and just like, is he out of his depth playing fullback? And did Vermees put him in a bad position by putting him out there um additionally we have roger espinosa playing left back just the depth at fullback is not that significant for this team and i think we can even as we talk about this consider what are sporting's legitimate options at these positions if it isn't roger espinosa and Kyrie shelton who is it legitimately um when you talk about what their what their roles are and their requirements are especially in the modern game and especially in the way the sporting uses their fullbacks. Um, there are basically, you know, just a couple very simple things that went, not simple. There are a couple very specific things that fullbacks are asked to do when it comes to their use in the modern game. One of them is ball progression. They are meant to be an outlet to progress the ball forward, either up the end line or into midfield. Um, they are supporting the attack. A lot of times with service, so especially as you get into control progression shape and you push into the opponent's half, they are supporting that attack, either with underlapping or overlapping runs to provide service to other players that are running in. On the defensive side, obviously, they're very important 1v1 wide defenders. Creating creating uh, or creating pressure on the wide areas are significant uh, to a fullback. And then, of course, as we saw in the sporting match, you know, maintaining a back line, maintaining the line effectively is also a part of what they do. All defenders are responsible for maintaining a line so that everyone on the line is in the same place and not allowing these onside plays to happen when other people are trapping. Um, so generally, I just to, just to sort of clarify, um, and I'm 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 sure it's this way uh, at the professional level too. I mean, generally, generally you have one. You have one player um, setting the line on the team, and it's one of the center backs, and it's usually going to be your more, um, um, you know, uh, 
probably your more experienced center back and definitely the one who sort of stays further back. So, so I imagine that Danny Rosero is the, is the, the player setting the line. Uh, and that probably is even the case with, uh, when Fontas is playing because, um, Rosero, uh, I think is oftentimes responsible for covering for Fontas. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, but one of those players is responsible for setting the line, and that means that that they choose um, um, the how far up on the field to move, and and all of the other people who are on the line, both fullbacks and the other center back, are are um, they are supposed to be um, either level or in front of that player, uh, so that that player is always the furthest player back, so that so that you so as a team you know. Um, um, which, you know, you know, you know how to mark that offside, uh, first of all, uh, but you also know, you know, how far to push up, how far to drop back, whether you're playing a, a high line, whether you're, um, uh, after you, if you turn the ball over, whether you're maintaining that high line or whether you're dropping back, it's all keyed through, um, through that defensive leader. And so I would say the last two, when we talk about line maintenance and defending, those are things that Jake Davis is very good at, very good at. Um, his 1v1 defending is exceptional, honestly. Um, he gets, he'll get into a slide tackle in, a, in an emergency situation a little bit more than I like, but other than that, he's very good at it. The ball progression and sort of supporting the line with service stuff, he's meh, meh, <laughs> I would say. Uh, he's much more of a defensive fullback than anyone else we have on the team, honestly. Like, that's his forte is being a defensive fullback. He's not that successful at providing much service. So from that perspective, I sort of understand when you have the team set up for that type of player um, as the right-sided fullback, I understand why you put Kyrie in that position. Sure. Because Kyrie's not that progressive of a passer. He's not the cleanest on the ball. He's not the best crosser by any means, right? I, I, he is a very direct player. I, I was thinking about this and thinking mm -hmm. about like what his best position is on this team. He, I think he's poorly fit on this on this team. Like, I, I just do don't too. think his I don't think his skills are effectively used on this team in any way, shape, or form. I, I would say that that's probably been the case uh, at every place he's been to, and I think that that's that's why he's kind of like in that journeyman um, um, sort of uh, category. Is uh, I think he's a good player, but I just don't think um, I just don't think his uh, like he has the skills, right? And I don't think I think he has uh, um, the soccer smarts, but I just uh, it's it's been difficult for him to find a place that. Um, yeah, and a system that sort of matches uh, his his strengths and um, and sort of hides his weaknesses. But I I totally I mean I I think I said last year that that uh, he was maybe a right back uh, that he could play that position and 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 it is because um, it's that sort of straight line mentality uh, and and that is that can be a good thing like that sort of direct straight line mentality especially if you're out on the wing um, and it's it and if you're that kind of player it that's players who sort of are naturally uh, disposed to, to being sort of straight line um, 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 play ahead players are, are generally 
uh, not well suited for playing in the middle of the field. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Kyrie struggled at the center forward position is that he just doesn't have the field awareness, um, the sort of 360 degree degree field awareness that you need if you're in the middle of the field. Uh, but if you simplify the game and put him on the side and, you know, that's just a much more um, it's just a much more um, simple and and direct way to play soccer, and I think that that uh, is what suits him. Um, and and that it's also why uh, we've we've talked about Cam Duke playing over there is that um, you know especially for players that are younger, oftentimes that start out you know on the outsides and maybe work their way in as they develop uh, a higher level of game awareness uh, but it's the same kind of deal right it's like uh, it's having an athletic presence uh, on the outside um, who um, who is good at progressing the ball and uh, and good at at, um, at taking on um, uh, attackers um, and and maybe not necessarily so much in the passing i mean i think like zussi is a has for years been an elite uh passer at the at the right back spot for a reason that's because he has that level of sort of you know 360 degree uh, awareness playing in that position but i think maybe that's the point i'm getting to is when this team is playing at its best it's got fullbacks that are useful in, in possession as far as being a progressive passer, picking out service, that kind of thing. You, you know, you can see last year with Sweat, why he was signed was that he offers a lot of that. Unfortunately, he is a minus defender, like a significant minus defender, which is part of the problem. But now they have Leibold, who is not, I would say he's in, he's a neutral defender, but mm-hmm. so good in possession. And I think Zussi's the same way. I don't think Zussi is some wildly good defender, but no. he is so he he offers so much in the front half of the field that it, it makes this offense go. And I think what I'm str- like, I, I can understand why you put Kyrie in that position in a break glass in case of emergency situation. And I think in relation to what they have Jake Davis doing, he can absolutely do those things. And in fact, he's a much larger and more physical player than Jake Davis is. So we could see, well, he is, but I mean, I mean he's, get, he's larger. I don't know that I, I, I've never really been impressed with his physicality. Frankly. He's on, on the right side over the last like three or four games. I've seen when he's played, he has been more physical with his stuff. I, the, the problem that he ran into is that because he's such a big dude, he would shoulder to shoulder somebody and call for a foul all the time. Yeah. Like, I, MLS refs don't know how to referee him. And since he's played right back and, and right wing, he's been able to play a little bit. He, he played very physically when he was on a right back when he came on for Zussi when he did his hamstring and got and was able to get away with it. He actually earned a foul call on right wing playing physically and using his body. And similarly, he did it uh, playing fullback. I, I think that the more that he learns how to use his body in an effective way, I think the better for him, because I think it will also help him when he plays center forward, where he's able to aggressively use his body and his strength to his advantage. That's something I always felt like he never did enough, to your point. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe that's something that he benefits from. My, my thing is this. If we look at what the options are at fullback, at right back specifically right now, our two right backs are injured with hamstring injuries. Jake Davis is a converted central midfielder playing right back. Kyrie Shelton is a 29-year-old guy who's been playing forward his whole life. 
and is that but and I, and, I, and so it's wild that we're having this conversation <laughs> but realistically i don't know what the be- what a better option is than Kyrie on the roster to play that position like i don't I, think cam duke, you 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 bring up cam duke but cam yeah. duke he struggled when he played right back he, he struggled very significantly. The problem with Cam is that he is not physical in any way. He is not yeah. physically defensive in any way. And so he struggle. He has to be – he's very much more of like a Remy Voltaire recovery guy. He's yeah. not going to get in a cage and win a duel. That's not his forte. He doesn't I, have I, a good wide service either. No, absolutely not. So, I mean, none of them do. None of them will. None of them are actually. I mean, you would hope that someone who's actually a right winger would have wide service, but he did not. <laughs> um, he did actually hit a pretty good. I mean, like he I did. said, that ball he, he, he but hit not consistent. Yeah, the ball he hit to shallow, he was, I mean, uh, uh, half a foot off of being dead perfect. Um, and it had to be dead perfect for that to score. So, I, I, I don't. I think he's playing a lot better since having yeah. sat on the bench for a while. He's played a lot better in the last couple of games, and that's why I want to I want to make sure that we're not um, haranguing him for the goal mm-hmm. because I just I don't think it was his fault, and I do think Agree. for the most part he played fine at fullback yeah. in this match, um, and I think that you know the the ball progression and the service part is not Z- Graham Zusi esque, but that's okay. I am excited to see Pierre come back because Pierre adds a certain amount of flair. Not only is he direct down the line and extremely fast, he looks to get behind. He tries mm-hmm. to get behind. Yeah. I don't see Davis or Kyrie trying to get behind the back line from the fullback position. Pierre is going to press your back line. He is going to make you feel him and make you deal with his speed and him trying to overlap and get behind you, which is a different thing than we have for many of our fullbacks. Candidly, mm-hmm. um, so I, I, you know, he goes on the overlapping run and will go deep and and make you deal with him. And I think that that's something that will be fun to see. Um, but I thought Kyrie was perfectly fine in that position. And Good, because uh, that's probably what what you know we're going to be stuck with for a while. Yeah, until, I mean, Pierre is. Pierre is probably going to start getting some minutes in the next couple weeks, yeah, but, but it's nothing going to be significant. it's going to be very slow. He's not going to be starting matches for a long, long time. I would wouldn't be surprised if Zussi's back playing more than he is. So it sounds like Zussi's hamstring wasn't well. I don't know. I don't know if it was or wasn't. Um, what they said is Pierre's was much worse than Johnny's. So that was what Vermi said. Is like his injury was much worse than Johnny's, so it's just going to take longer to get back from. And with a hamstring, you got to be super careful, especially a bad one. Okay. So, 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 well, before before you move on, I just, (laughs) I mean, I want to point out that, uh, um, you know, ideally, um, in an ideal world, you could either bring up um, uh, a player from SKC two, who you know supposedly has has played in the same system and should have uh, at least some knowledge and ability uh, to 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 step in. If you don't have anybody there uh, who's ready, uh, you know. I mean, we've talked before about uh, uh, maybe needing to, to shove square pegs into round holes because uh, of a refusal to, to, you know, shift formations. And, and I think that this is one of those cases where you don't, I mean, you don't have to play uh, Kyrie Shelton at right back. You've got, you've got good or you've got more experienced center backs uh, that you, that, that you've got, 
you've got players who have more experience yeah. playing center back uh, than you do uh, than than Kyrie does playing right back. Um, and I would think and, Castellanos could play that position. But, if Fontos I mean, isn't hurt and he's and Vermees doesn't have Volitor in the doghouse, you probably see Castellanos move over there. Honestly, that would be my. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I'm. But I mean, uh, why don't? <laughs> I know why, but I mean, why? Why don't you just switch to a a, a three four three or something like that? You know what I'm saying? And and you know you're just That's not you're just having. Dude. I know this I realize that, but I mean that that. But I I just want to point out that like like a lot of these problems, a lot of these um, uh, positional problems and selection problems are they're like kind of self induced to to some degree. They are. I'm not. De- I'm not debating that, and I don't know how much uh, Vermes has had Kyrie uh, training in that position. I bet all the time, it's, honestly. I, I think over the last couple of weeks he probably has yeah. because he yeah. he had to put him in uh, that in that position when Zussi went down, and he he even noted that he's never practiced there, but thought he did a decent <laughs> job, and and he's probably having to practice there now more because of it. Oh. Right? I, I mean, look, the guy is on the roster till 2026. Through 2026, yeah. okay, yeah. It just is what it is. So let's find a good place for him, and, and use I agree. It. If that's if this if if it's right back, then let's let's use that. I mean, I, Mike Coon said it's like it feels like we're just trying to find a place for a guy that we signed for three years. Well, okay, but we're here now, so let's figure it out and figure out a good place to use him on the pitch because he's. I'd rather have him as a utility knife. If he can be the utility knife player, then that's fine. I mean, I'd rather see him at right back than center forward, frankly. <laughs> I mean, unless we have score, a lead, he, he did pretty. <laughs> he did pretty good at the end of the at the end of the Austin match. At he did. Forward. He I'll, did. I'll be now. Granted, game state has something to do with it, but yeah. he he did play very well. He his runs were very good. Um, the guy that we would bring up from SKC two is Lucas Rosa. That would be the guy that might potentially be available. He's and he's an experienced player. I mean, he's twenty five. It's not like he's some you know eighteen year old. He's a 25-year-old Brazilian right back, um, and he. But I think there's aren't there rules about short-term loans with SKC two. Uh, you yeah, have to be. You have are. to. That's like yeah. hardship loans and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the problem with Sporting has is all their roster spots are taken. So yeah. I don't know that they could do it because they don't have enough injuries. Like you have to be at a certain place with um, your ability to field a 20-person squad. For before they let you do that stuff. In fact, I think it has to be down to like 17. It has to be it's 17 or 16. That we don't have enough injuries. Yeah. It seems That's a weird thing to say. Seems kind of crazy. <laughs> well, this is the problem with this the squad being so uh, being so deep from a total player's perspective, right? They yeah. have 30 players on the roster. So while the back line is fairly injured, none of the other positions are. Yeah. So they're, they've got enough players in total. To where it doesn't, you can't do these kind of hardship loans. So I, I don't know. I I think that they're doing the best they can with what they got right now. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I mean, I I don't think it's the best they can, but I think that they think that they're doing the best that they can. I'm I'm gonna say this. We we dogged on Vermees for his inability to do formation changes or put people in players to succeed, etc., etc., etc. He stuck to his guns, and they won on a pretty fucking great run once the players got back and were available. Okay. Yeah. This is if, true. If they eat shit for the next month and a half, then I think you've got a rationale here for why that you know they should make some adjustments, and they should be a little bit more adaptable 
based on available personnel. And I think they could be more adapt. I'm not disagreeing with you. But what I'm telling you is, is that Vermees' perspective is stay the course, keep players in positions they understand and, and maintain that. And I think that Marinos Chinese being on international duty probably had more to do with why some things didn't happen in this game than anything yeah. else. Yep, yeah, I agree. Okay. Potpourri, just like your favorite Jeopardy category. This is where we discuss one topic that could be anything in and around the MLS. Sporting Kansas City soccer sphere. And we're going to talk about the U.S. Men's National Team. Man, we've been going long already. Man, I had all kinds of thoughts on this one, too. And I don't want you guys to have to listen to a two-hour podcast. So we'll probably not go super deep here. Or we'll just spend very little time talking about the galaxy and the fire, which is fine by me. Um, First things first, we have to discuss this topic. So um, in the middle of, or in the middle of, no, an hour before the uh, United States took Mexico to the woodshed. Um, the news comes out from Paul Tenorio that Greg Berhalter is going to be rehired as the U.S. Men's National Team coach. And of course, everyone had completely rational responses to this. It was totally it was like it was like, it was like Greg Berhalter was Kyrie Shelton. That's how crazy it was. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, I... I said this to uh, one of our buddies uh, earlier today. It's like, I'm done replying to the Avatar Mafia. Like, they're just so unhinged in general about yeah. this stuff that, like, there's no nuance to their arguments. And any, any um, like, attempt you try to make to subvert their arguments makes you some MLS shill or U.S. soccer shill that's trying to support their terrible decision-making processes in their, in their opinion. I think there are reasonable, you know, arguments towards why Berhalter shouldn't be rehired. I can, I can, I can understand those. I, I think that you and I were both pretty open about the fact that maybe it's time to do something different. Maybe, you know, two cycle coaches aren't always the most successful and typically they're not successful. Um, so, you know, is it the right time for a change of, philosophy a change of scenery you know just kind of making making things new and fresh and different um all of the baggage that comes with him is obviously significant which is another problem that you have to deal with so i I can understand like you know having a rational like reasonable understanding going like hey maybe this is the time also up until the world cup he made some questionable tactical decisions in games (laughs) That I think we can all say, like, what? Wait, he get he'd get a little too cute, right? We talk yeah. about Vermes making adjustments, and Greg would sort of over-index in the other direction and just make wild adjustments that were a little bit too cute, and a little bit would a little bit confusing to the to the players on the field. Um, so, but he also did hone in on what worked and sat on what worked in the World Cup, and so mm-hmm. you could sort of see the plan in place. It was like, hey. In these circumstances, I can get away with doing some stuff. I'm going to try some things, and then I'm going to figure out what is the most, the best way for us to set up. And then he sat on that. And in fairness, the team wasn't deep enough. Like we we talk yep. we talk about how deep this team is at at the world stage, at the World Cup quality level. They didn't have enough players that were of specifically of high quality. Mid, specifically midfielders. Yeah. Exactly midfielders that were of high enough quality to do this. And I think that some of that is changing. I think moving Gio Reyna into the midfield helps that in a significant manner. Um, but 
there are there are reasonable arguments to be made, reasonable criticisms to be made of Greg Berhalter, and I can get behind those. But some of this stuff is like gone beyond the pale, honestly. Yeah. And it's like it, it it's not based in reality or areas of rational thought. And <laughs> I, I mean, it's it just <laughs> like I I understand if you don't like him, fine, that's fine. But he's not a bad coach. He really no, isn't. He's not. <laughs> and and the coaches that that um, that the the United States would have been looking at instead of him, um, you know, like you might think Jesse Marsh. I I don't personally think he would that have been, that would he would have been, been a, a terrible idea. fit for this yeah, club for I, this team. I, I absolutely so. terrible fit tactically his, his, for this his, team. His style is too. It's. Uh, it's too um, complicated. Honestly, it requires too much drilling, and um, and you know when we 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 already just talked about how um, you know there were some depth struggles with depth, and that's a that's a style that requires depth, you know, and um, because it's a, a very physically intensive style. And the other thing is that um, uh, there's like no tactical nuance for. Um, for Jesse Marsh, I, I love. I mean, I love Jesse Marsh. I, I love watching his teams, but like they play one way, and that's pretty much it. And so, um, I think that uh, when you play uh, internationally, you need uh, um, um, more more tricks in your bag than just that. And the other one's Patrick Vieira, and I mean, who knows? I mean, Patrick Vieira, uh, he was good in MLS, but he struggled uh, at Crystal Palace. Um, and I mean, then after that, it's like, okay, now, now who, right? He was he, Patrick Vieira is French Rob Bob Bradley, like right. <laughs> he, he he was very successful in MLS, went to the French league in like the second division, and was sort of okay. Got one Premier League job, got fired from it in the first season he had it. Like he's the same. He's a, he's not. Yeah, but Why he's are from Europe. Like, <laughs> his name is he's Patrick Vieira for crying and out loud. Like the people talking about Thierry Henry. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, I listen. That, obviously, that's I a have joke. My thoughts. That's just that's just a name signing, and I'm mean, no, seriously. No, they were legit. There no, were I know, people I know, I know. believing that this was a good idea. Yeah, like this was wow. in the discourse. Like, hey, Thierry Henry would be a good fit for these guys because he's won in uh, with Arsenal. Blah 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 blah. Thierry Henry was a, an average coach for Montreal for two years. <laughs> that makes him. You guys, all these people, like shit on Burhalter because he comes from MLS and he's Columbus and his brother is the fucking COO. So that's why he ended up becoming the coach. And then you want to hire Thierry Henry instead? Yeah, like, makes what no are sense. you talking about? Like, none of these arguments make any fucking sense. They just hate no. Greg Burhalter. For some yeah. reason, they just hate him. And, 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 and none, none of, of the. And none of the bigger profile coaches um, were ever going to come to 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 you know the United yeah they're States. like so, Jose Mourinho first of all yeah, fuck is, that I do joke. not want to see that guy yeah. oh my god you you want to be bored <laughs> watching your team play soccer like Jesus pay ten million dollars to watch them play in a freaking uh, <laughs> counterattacking four two three one and just just pass the ball around for ninety minutes I mean like. I just, I just, I, like these people don't live in reality. Like they just don't understand how this stuff works. And and a, a, apparently, according to the release from U.S. Soccer, which you know we should, you know, read with one eyebrow raised, Mac Rocker went through a complete like evaluation that was not budget related. They did not give him a budget for the coach. They said go find the best coach, and then he ended up on Burhalter, which I understand why people are going to be like what, um, but. The reality is, who really wants this job? 
like legitimately who is like interested in having this job. Yeah. It's going to be American coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vermees made a comment about this. Uh, they, they, I think Thad asked him about it beginning I mean, earlier this week or the end of last week. And said, hey, uh, yeah, it must have been end of last week. It was before Burhalter was announced. So it must have been middle of last week. Thad asked him about it. It's like, who do you think you know would be a good fit for being the coach? And Vermees straight up said, he's like, I think it should be an American coach. He's like, you need someone that understands Americans and American soccer. And it's like, no World Cup has ever been won by an international coach. Ever. Mm. There's something to be said for that. Like, yeah. I, it was wild that Vermees was able to pull that. I didn't even know that was a fact. Like, he was able to pull that. Like, every single World Cup team has been won by a coach from that country. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very hard to 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 imagine someone like Mourinho having success with American players and and you know just the that that cultural vibe is not it's just not there you know uh, and and I think that one of the things that a, a lot of people tend to underrate and overlook is the uh, is the 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 culture on the team and uh, the camaraderie on the team and uh, I think that. Um, you know, that, that, that Greg has done a really, really good job, uh, building that. Uh, and obviously everybody goes to the, to the Gio Reyna thing, but I would actually, uh, I would actually point to the, to the Weston McKinney incident where, you know, he was, he was disciplined for sneaking out and, um, and then he was basically, you know, once he reintegrated into the team after his, um, um, his you know, punishment or whatever you want to call it, uh, he's basically, you know, undroppable um and and became uh, a leader on the team and uh i think that uh i think that that that's a tribute to to both greg and to and to wes and i would think that um um i would expect the same kind of thing to happen with geo and you know a lot of the a lot of the problems with geo um with with Gio and not with his parents, a lot of the problems with Gio were with the with with the other players. The other players were the ones that had issues with with Gio's behavior and the way that he was carrying himself, and and they worked to help hold him accountable. and uh, And Greg was advocating for him, and you know I think that a lot of that gets lost in the in in you know sort of the conversation around uh, the whole thing. It was a 19-year-old kid acting petulant because he was told he wasn't going to be playing more during the World Cup. The same thing happened with Ricardo Pepe. He went on a fucking rant after he didn't yeah. end up getting chosen for the World Cup roster. It's a 19-year-old kid. These guys are stupid. Yeah, you have a really son are. that's close to that age. They're <laughs> he, fucking he's, dumb. He, he's a dipshit. <laughs> so, I love him to like, death. But... <laughs> they, they don't have a full perceived understanding of the world. This is how this shit goes. But they, they think they know everything. It. <laughs> exactly exactly but they, this is how this shit goes and greg dealt with it and i i think that if you look at how geo performed in these nations league matches and how tight he was with his teammates during all of this like he understood he understood the assignment he's becoming more a part of the culture instead of trying to be above it and this is this is this is what you do when you build a culture like this mm-hmm you're like people realize that they need to participate in it. They want to be a part of it. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, Gio would never play in the midfield if Greg Berhalter was coaching. He was, and I'm like, first of all, you're fucking idiots. He was experimenting with this setup in September before the world cup. Like he was setting the remember, mm-hmm. like Gio was injured 
So he played what thirty minutes um, in one of those matches, but that was why they were bringing like they were going to bring in Georgi Mihailovic. They were bringing in a couple different players who are much more attacking minded midfielders because they were going to try this. And then Brendan Aronson ended up playing in the role because Gio was hurt. But they were going to do this anyway. They were testing yeah. this setup regardless because he would be perfect fit for it. And we see in the Nations League, he is a perfect fucking fit for it. Like yes, he, he is. is a central midfielder. Ideal. This is his ideal yep. position. Um, it also allows you to leave Tim Weah on the right wing, which I think is yes. another really important, Very important. part of, of mm-hmm. what makes this team go. And then you put a legitimate center forward in front of Gio, and fun soccer happens. You know, it's like so, it's uh, it's it's like um, when we were for years, you know, before uh, Sporting Kansas City had in the in the years, I guess, in between Dom Dwyer and Alan Polito, uh, the Sporting Kansas City were they they were able to play good soccer, possession based soccer, um, uh, but they were not um, but they they were not a very goal dangerous team uh, for that time. And, and really it was because they, they were lacking that top end talent. And I, you know, I think the same thing about, uh, about Greg's um, U S men's team. And, you know, they, there's a really strong underlying structure that's been built there and really, um, you know, a really um, excellent uh, set of principles of play that, that have been instituted and really, you know, what it, um, it just needs that little finishing element and that, that little finishing element is a, uh, an elite striker and, and, uh, it looks like the United States has one and that's pretty freaking awesome. I mean, he was, uh, Balogun was, uh, very good against Mexico. Like he was getting into places. He just didn't have the connection with his teammates. Mm-hmm. And then you could see it just start to get better and better. And then against Canada, he was right on the same page. He and Reyna were very much on the same page. Yeah. That that whole sequence of the goal that he scored, obviously Reyna, Reyna hits a great pass there. Like he pulls the guy forward. And then Ballo actually tells, like points to where he wants the ball. Mm-hmm. And Gia puts it right there with the right weight. But the other thing about it um, that I really enjoyed was that Balogun really like slowed his run down, gathered himself, Held his back off to the to to Scott Kennedy. Scott Kennedy got abused by Balogun regularly in this game, <laughs> by the way. But um, he holds him off and then really gets his feet under him and hits it well. And I don't want to compare these two because they're not on the same level, but it reminds me of something like that Holland does. Holland is really good at composing himself so he gets a really good strike on the ball. Like mm-hmm. use when he gets into a he gets into a good place, he makes sure that his laces go through it on goal. And that's yeah. what Balogun does here. Too many of our our strikers in the pool don't have that composure in that moment. Yeah. They yeah. just swing. You know what I mean? They're not they're they're not, you know, really thoughtful about how they score. And that was actually what I really enjoyed about Ricardo Pepe in the last twenty minutes of the Mexico match, even though it was what, nine V nine by the time he scored his goal. Um <laughs> He may, it might have been 10, it was probably 10 v 10 because I don't think that that that's the, the second double, the, the Dest red card happened till like really late in that game. But, um, his goal was very composed, very clean, yeah, it and was. just like really well taken. And so, as much as him playing for a shitty team in the Eredivisie, you know, may or may not be like the best place for him to develop, I can tell that he's maturing in his abilities as a striker. And that's the other thing you gotta remember. Ricardo Pepe and Giovanni Reina could have played for our U twenty team at the World Cup. Okay? Yeah. Like 
these guys are super young still, like super young. And I mean, Balogun just turned 21. Like these guys are way, way young. And I, I think that it, it's good to see the talent level that they have at this age and that you can see that they'll, they're, these are players that are just going to keep getting better. This is not some Freddie Adu stuff or some Bobby Wood stuff or something like that where they just happen to get hot at some point in time. No, these are like guys that have legitimate skill and are going to continue to get better. Um, I, I do think one, that uh, I do think we kind of need to. Uh, I, I enjoy the games and I uh, I'm really optimistic about the team. Um, uh, as much as anybody, uh, but I do think we kind of need to maybe pump the brakes a little bit because um, the the Mexico team that we beat um, is atrocious. I mean, they I mean, fucking like, terrible, man. Like really bad. Um, and they quit. They quit like yes. about the hour mark. They quit yeah. playing soccer. They were they were bad. Um, and uh, and honestly, I think that um, I think that Canada um, set their 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 team up wrong and their game plan uh was wrong and they didn't adapt and so you know i think i think herdman got um maybe he overthunk things and and uh i don't um, think he overthunk it i think he didn't have much time to adjust so he he complained about this after the match and this is a legitimate concern that canadian soccer has they have no fucking money they're like bankrupt basically yeah and so he got uh he got them into las vegas all those players showed up into their camp three days before their first match against uh panama and then they obviously had two days after that to prepare for the U.S. That's all the time they had for the Nations League final group was like six yeah. days. So from that perspective, it's difficult. I think he set them up to play the same way they set up when they beat the U.S. in Canada, which was yeah. I mean, they were just sort of, they were just playing through the wings and playing yeah, you know, playing a direct counterattacking through the wings and, and expecting the U.S. to possess the ball, and yeah. the U.S. didn't. They were like, "Fuck you! No, we'll just loop it long and let you deal with it, and then we're going to counterpress you." And, and the they fullbacks, weren't ready for and the it. Fullbacks, uh, the fullbacks shut down uh, uh, Davies and Larea, and and uh, that was that. Brendan, you know? and then, Brendan Aronson had a lot to do with why yeah, absolutely Davies he got did. Shut oh, and Tim, and Tim Weah, too. I mean, they were, they were, you could see there was a concerted sort of as like soon right, as Davies right got side on the ball, help, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if, if you've got, you got to put Brendo out there because Wes mm-hmm. is out for the red card, why not give him a job to do, which is harass the shit out of their best player? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, uh, th- there was a uh, an interview um, that that's been posted with uh, uh, Joe Scally, um, and it was, you know, I think it was it was seen as being pretty critical towards uh, towards Greg, and and basically the gist of it was that you know sometimes you just got to simplify things and and not be so complicated, and I felt like kind of that's what happened is that uh, is that the game plan, uh, especially during Canada, but probably for Mexico too, that those game plans were were simplified, and and uh, and there are players like you know like Brendan Aronson and like Joe Scally who that really works well well for, and you can say look you know this is what I want you to do, I want you to just you know Brendan Aronson, I want you to 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 really just key in, don't even worry about attacking if you get a chance great, but just key in on on Alfonso Davies and make his life hell and and that's what he did and you know and and you know Herdman did not sort of switch things up and, and attack through the middle they kept trying to to attack down the wings and and it just did not work at all yeah they like switched Davies to the right side as if that was going to yeah. sort of all of a sudden that fix it shit. Robinson's Center better than Scott give me a, go, yeah. please go try and <laughs> yeah. attack him I mean give I me like, a break I was like 
Alfonso Davies ain't going to outrun Jedi Robinson. That's not going to happen. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I think that they just had limited options because they weren't able to predict how the U.S. would shift their game plan. Um, I I think that some of it was simplified, but i got to be honest with you. There's a lot of people that are like, well, because of Anthony Hudson and B.J. Callahan, we're starting to play more progressive soccer. No, I think that's ridiculous. That's complete garbage. This is the exact same fucking setup that they've been using the whole time. And these guys are Greg Berhalter deputies. In fact, most of the players said, it's like, hey, the good news is is there's not much change. Yeah, we got a different coach, but the, the yep. system is the same. We're running the, the same, same principles. Yep. There's nothing new here. What what happened was you had a healthy Gio Reyna until he wasn't. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, that's, this yeah. is the problem with Gio, right? Yeah. Is that when he has to play two 90s in, in three days or four days, he gets injured. Um, but you had a healthy Gio for 135 minutes, and you have – Fuller and Balogun. That that was the difference between why this team looked better and uh, versus when they didn't. I just like the I just like the fact that they play with with swagger. You know, honestly, they're a fun team to watch. They would go out there. They they were trying they're gaining all confidence for sure. Flicks and nutmegs yeah. and all kinds of stuff and and uh, and they didn't take but, shit from Mexico at all. And and I I really respect and appreciate that. And that's the kind of shit that comes from going through a World Cup qualifying cycle, going through a World mm-hmm. Cup. You be you get sharpened by those things, and you're like, okay, I've been through this. I'm not afraid of this circumstance anymore. It's not bigger than something I've dealt with, and I'm just yeah. going to go out and play. And I think that that was the key to what made them look so good. When they're when they're flowing, they're an extremely fun team to watch play. Um, yeah, and sure. obviously, like you said, Mexico was fucking garbage. And they fired their coach, and you know, I don't really think it's Diego Coca's fault. Like. They 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 just have some serious structural issues with their team and their talent, and it reminds me yeah, a lot of they don't have good the players. <laughs> that reminds me a lot of the U.S. in 2017. Honestly, yeah. like they just don't have enough good players, and this is not the coach's fault. It's they just don't have the right players available. Okay, one thing to look for. Um, let's do a quick review of the LA Galaxy. Um, first of all, they're terrible. Um, second of all, they their best player is out for the season. Um, third of all, uh, they've been semi-decent since Chicha went down, but they also give up lots of goal-scoring chances to their opponents. So, of course, that means that Sporting will get three shots in the game and get beat one nothing. But um, <laughs> I don't think I, so. <laughs> I, I, I doubt I'd it. Be shocked. I, yeah, I think this is one of those ones you want to if you're in living. In I mean, San Eric Tommy might have three shots, but <laughs> <laughs> Eric Tommy has three shots in every game. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, obviously the Galaxy are struggling. They're kind of doing some different stuff. They've been having Ricky Puig playing higher, almost as a second forward in some circumstances. Uh, I just think that Greg Vanny is doing anything he can to get attacking, you know, a quality, talented attacking players near the front, near the goal. Um, but they're really bad defensively. And, well, and the problem uh, is with, with Sporting KC's press um, that – Puj is going to have to drop back to help facilitate playing out, and that's going to take him further away from goal and and further away from being dangerous. And uh, I think that it sets up um, it sets up pretty well for Sporting Kansas City to have some success. I think it's going to depend on their legs and you know how sharp they are. You yeah, know, having to travel yeah. travel to LA midweek is not an easy one. Um, I assume they they probably after practice got on the plane tonight, head there, and then they're you know 
get it'd be tomorrow. it'd be really nice to get a couple of first half goals and sit Pulido in the second half. I'm starting to get really worried actually about his load because uh, he's playing a lot of minutes and you know <laughs> I mean they did sit up like Kyrie played what like the last mm-hmm. 25 or 30 yeah. against Austin yep. which is good yep. and then that's good um, but but the only reason he did was because we were up by multiple goals and so well and you know who's gonna play right back if Kyrie's spelling Polito so there, yeah. there's a secondary issue there too yeah. um yeah I I mean there, there are some rotational issues for sure that they've got to figure out but yeah I agree it would be nice to get some of those guys off the field um, I, I agree. He his his workload is high right now, and he's coming off of a massive knee injury that put him out for like <laughs> and he's fifteen months. years old. <laughs> and he's thirty two years old, and it's like I mean I know he's a workout monster, but man, like yeah, we got to be a little bit careful for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I would I agree. It would be nice to 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 put a couple on the board, but you know get up three nothing by about the fifty fifth minute and just take him out of the game. Um. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, and then we got Chicago coming to town on Saturday. It's like two 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 terrible teams in a row. We got to get yeah. six points, man. It's yeah. got to be a six point week. You you would like to you would like to think that those are opportunities to score points for sure. Yeah. I mean, winning on the road in MLS is never easy. But LA Galaxy fans are so upset with their team right now that I don't know how hard it how hard the environment is going to be at uh, their stadium. And then obviously we'll be at home for Chicago. And anything less than four points is a problem, honestly. Yeah. Well, and, and if, I said if, this if we want to, if we want to maintain our trajectory and be a playoff team yeah. and all of those things, we we need absolutely four points. I mean, I said I think somebody said I think I forget who I was talking to said you know hey LAFC is the one match of these this run of like home games and whatnot coming up that you would be okay to lose and I'm like, I mean I understand the sentiment LAFC is a very good team, but also. Sporting can't afford to lose games right now, especially no. home games. They're they're they put themselves in such a hole that they have to keep winning at this rate to give yep. themselves a legitimate shot at making the playoffs. They've also played way more games than a lot of other teams, so they all have games in hand that they can catch up with. So it's it's yeah. really important that Sporting continue to to bump their um, their their points up and their points per game is really what's most important to me. I think they need to get to generally need to be about right around one and a half points per game to make the playoffs. 1.4 might make it. Um, they're still well below that right now. And so they need to really um, start to get things pushed forward as far as continuing to win. And there's two more home games. So we have this Saturday and the following Saturday, and then one on the road before the big break happens for League's Cup and whatnot. So we'll All have right. to see. We'll have to see. But, um, yeah, you would you would think – that these opponents are at least ones that sporting would relish their chances against. I believe that we will win. Oh God. Did you really do that? (laughs) You hate that chant too. I do. I hate hate it it so much. (laughs) And on that note, I'm Drew East Cody. (laughs) We will talk to y'all next week. Bye.